So today, we celebrate Easter. We celebrate the truth of the ages that resounded across the universe. Um, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, which we'll see today. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. He died for our sins. It's an amazing thing. And the scriptures that talk about this, the, the death and resurrection of Christ, hundreds of years before he was even born, testified to everything that happened in his life. To the point where, when I look at the evidence and the amazing, uh, the amazing amount of um, ways in which prophecy was fulfilled, it's just a remarkable thing, a remarkable thing, as we will see. And uh, today we're going to be looking at one of those prophecies, Isaiah 53. It's such a complete prophecy about what Jesus did for us on the cross that it requires almost no explanation. If you know anything about the story of Christ, you can see it's all there. It's, it's a remarkable thing. Uh, but today, I want to talk to you about the idea of home and of going back home. So let me ask you a question, which might be a little strange, but, uh, but work with me. What does the idea of home feel like to you internally? And maybe a way to, to tease that out, what does home look like to you? What does it smell like? Yeah, it's funny, right? But there are smells, right, associated with the homes we grew up in? What does it smell like? What do you hear when you are there, when you're at home? For some of you who grew up in homes with amazing cooks or maybe not so amazing cooks, what does home taste like? Did you have hamburgers or spam burgers? What did you have? Are there smells that you smell today that just kind of bring you back to this idea of home? I know for me, uh, that's definitely true. On the other hand, uh, as we bring up these memories of our concept of home, some of you have very painful memories of home. I mean, I'm judging just from what I've heard in general from people I talk to, very painful memories. And home was not a good place for a variety of reasons. Um, and you were happy to get out of there, truth be told, once you left your home. And those of you who are nodding your heads while sitting next to your parents, you know, be careful. <laughs> if you're here with your parents, don't want to hurt their feelings on Easter. You were happy to get out of there, but since you left, um, what positive idea of home has emerged in your soul? Is it the first apartment that you had when you got out from your parents' place or college? Was it your college dormitorium and the people that you had friendship with in college? Is it your great-grandmother's house, your grandparents, so many years ago, uh, where you, there was that crystal candy dish and all the candy was stuck together and gross? And then they hit you with their, their canes and screamed at you. I, I did have some great aunts that were like that. <laughs> my my great-aunt Elizabeth, she said, come closer. I'm like, okay. I was like six years old. Come closer. Come closer. And she hit me with her cane. <laughs> True story. And uh, at the time, I didn't really understand that she was kidding around. She wasn't a mean person. And I unfortunately have that same dark sense of humor. I got to be careful, you know, not to traumatize my children. <laughs> but home, the weird, the smells, the, the things you see, you touch and feel, you know, what does that look like for you? I think every pe person has a longing for the people and places that make us feel that feeling of home. And I believe that we have a longing to be there. And that's been encoded in us by the Creator God. We just have a desire to go home. 
And that could look a lot of different ways for a lot of different people. So when you think of home, what do you see? What do you hear? What tastes come to mind? What does it smell like? What does it feel like? I'm going to share some, some personal memories um, that are precious to me, very precious to me, but at the same time a little bit painful because they're memories. You can't really go back uh, to, to these times. And when I think of these memories, it creates a longing in my heart for the, for the places these, and people that these memories represent. But I want to take you through one piece of my idea of home uh, this morning. My grandmother's house. This is my grandmother. We call her Bama. There's Bama and Papa. That's how we said grandma when we were little kids. She is a fantastic person. She, she and my grandfather are still living, but they're not living in the same home that uh, my mom grew up in and, and we spent so much time. But this is their old home. And it's, it's iconic to me in my memory. Uh, my grandmother uh, is one of the most formative people I have in my life as far as uh, a big part of my foundation. Who can say that of their grandparents? I hear a lot of stories of people that say, you know, didn't, re- didn't really hear much from my parents, but my grandparents, when I was at their house, then, you know, probably it was all the sugar and cookies you got that made it so happy. <laughs> but uh, my grandmother really demonstrated for me with her actions um, what a vibrant and simple trust and faith in Jesus Christ looks like. She was... Uh, she and my grandfather were the first Christians in their family, and, this, and they became Christians in the 70s. And my mother was a teenager at the time, so she was already through the tumultuous time of being a teenager when they became Christians. My mom became a Christian later on uh, from that time. And uh, until, you know, seven or eight years ago, every year we would go to my grandparents' home and have what my grandmother called a chumpkin party, which is we carved pumpkins, and she made her famous chumpkin soup, which is you know, chicken and pumpkin soup with sugar and heavy cream in it. It was actually really good. Um, Lots of heavy cream, lots of sugar. And uh, this is funny. This requires some explanation. And if you notice, (laughs) so before my my grandparents came to Christ, they were like so into Halloween. And my grandfather loved the universal uh, horror movies, the classic horror movies. And so he had this Frankenstein head that (laughs) they'd pull out um, and put on in the background, which is kind of funny. But we carved these pumpkins together. You can see me without any beard, looking younger. This is 2007. And we carved these pumpkins together. There's Jackie with a lollipop in her mouth. Not sure if she likes these pictures or not. Sorry, Jackie. (laughs) I chose the best ones I could. I don't think any pictures make you look bad, by the way. Everyone, we've 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 all eaten lollipops in public, right? It's not shameful. But until recently, we did this this pumpkin party. And from child, but really from childhood, oh, look at that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we didn't have like, sorry Jackie, we didn't have like, um, I'll put a cute one up, oh boy, that's adorable. We didn't have um, those fancy phone cameras in 2007. No, we had, I had single-use disposable cameras that I took pictures with and got the film developed, so you just never knew if someone was mid-bite or, you know, eating a lollipop or dressed like Frankenstein until later on. And some of, you, some of you kids have no idea what I'm talking about, you know? But there was a day when we used to walk to school without any, you know, pants on. You know, whatever it is. <laughs> the stories of when I was your age have, have gotten so much more condensed now. And these, every generation is about 10 years, they say now, technology-wise. So, you know, we're like 100 years away from this time 
Actually, that, this is actually a little earlier. Who is that adorable guy? Anyone want to guess? It's a child model I found on the internet that I wanted to... Uh, I know you're not surprised by that, but that is actually me. Um, yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. So, from the time I was a little baby, and this is at my grandparents' house, as I can tell from the carpet, um, from the time I was a little baby, we went to my grandparents' house almost every week. It was really, really cool. And the famous story of me at this time in my life is this kind of uh, crib had like a wing nut that you could like unscrew it on the outside. So as a baby, I taught myself to unscrew the thing, took it apart, and went downstairs, you know? <laughs> and uh, that was not something my, my mom liked because I guess I was a holy horror. Or maybe an unholy horror at the time, you know? So they, liked to, they needed to just have a break from me. They put me in this, this uh, crate and stick me upstairs, stick me in the basement. <laughs> Eventually I had to escape. Um, my mom, like, hates it when babies cry or, or when people are, are hurting. She's like that. And so um, whenever, whenever I would cry, she'd be like, oh, we got to stop the crying. God, make him happy. So I would be up there, and one of the famous stories about me is I would shout from my cage, I want a bottle with milk on top. I would just shout that. I want a bottle with milk on top. And my, my mother didn't want me to sustain any long-term tr- emotional traumatic damage, decided that in order to keep me from feeling uncomfortable, she would leave a four-pack of bottles in my crib. <laughs> I think that maybe that has been a disservice to me in my adult life. <laughs> yeah. It's like having a Taco Bell in your bedroom. <laughs> no. So I had my four-pack, and we all laugh about it now. I haven't asked her permission. She'll hear this on the internet, maybe, and then she'll be like, why'd you tell that story? I said you were loving and compassionate, and that you fed me too much milk. Now look at me. Anyway, um, great, great story from this time. My grandfather, the Frankenstein guy you saw, uh, he he came down one night while my mom was making my four-pack, chilling it. I had a certain temperature I liked the four-pack at, and she'd, uh, she got it right, she got it right, she didn't, you know? I screamed. But she was making my four-pack, and she was also making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for, the, for, for the, the trip we were taking the next day. And my grandfather said to her, you getting up sandwiches in bed now, too? <laughs> so, so I have some really, yeah. It's so cute, I just have to change it, right? You don't want it to go away, do you? No. But when I was a little kid, I have very distinct memories of running down the stairs early in the morning uh, through the dining room, uh, through, through the living room right there, um, into the kitchen right there. And this is the actual house my, my grandparents lived in. And I, I come around the corner, you know, under 10 years old, just a little kid, first, first one awake, and my grandmother would be sitting right where that coat is. Uh, I took these when they were moving, so that's why it's a little messy. Um, and she'd be sitting there with her Bible open, reading, and she'd give me a big smile. And um, she'd say, oh, what do you think about this? And just start reading stuff to me in the Bible. It was pretty cool. Um, she would let me sit with her, ask me what I thought about it. I got to listen to all of this dramatic stuff where she, people called her for counsel on the phone. And she would pray with people on the phone. Like every time I was there, she was talking to somebody. She prayed with people on the phone, shared the scripture with them. Uh, I remember... She, she put her hand over the receiver if they were like talking, like going on and on and on about 
whatever the problem was. And she'd be like, it's good to see you, honey. What can I get you for breakfast? And she'd make me uh, coffee, of course, from a young age. I mean, I was drinking coffee, like, right out of the womb. It was crazy. I think, like, it was, it was, I was pumped with coffee and milk and sandwiches. And, uh, but she would make me a cup of coffee, half and half and sweet and low, the little pink packets. And I still, whenever I go to a coffee shop, I know, I know it's, it's going to kill me. I know. You know, we're all doing things that are going to kill us eventually, right? We're just living is going to kill us eventually, right? So <laughs> um, take that little thing of sweet and low, put it in there. I think of my grandmother. She'd make me these, uh, the Eggo waffles. I listened to all this, this adult stuff. And I just felt this amazing feeling of love and acceptance with her, as well as a trust, like I'm being treated like an adult in a way and ushered into this kind of realm. So for me, what does home smell like? Well, it smells like the Irish Spring soap and CVS brand Listerine from my grandparents' bathroom. It just smelled like Irish Spring and Listerine all the time. It smells like waffles and coffee and my grandmother's perfume that she sprayed out of the bottle with that big thing that you like to press. I go, I go into a room and just spray it around the room, you know? Um, it smelled like the basement where I found my uncle's Atari 2600 and his um, you know, comic books and his re- the record collection and a skateboard. That's what, that's what that place home smells like to me. Um, what does it sound like? Well, galloping down the ridiculously creepy, creaky stairs that wakes everyone in the house up early in the morning, whipping around the corner into the kitchen, hearing my grandmother's voice as she's talking to people on the phone or, or reading the scripture or praying. Um, the sound of the, the coffee just finishing up and the toaster oven just dinging. That's, that's, that's the sounds of home. Home feels like um, most of the carefree, good, and pleasant memories of my childhood, you know, in that house. Skateboarding up and down that street, biking all day. And then we'd sit at the end of the day and watch the Lucy, the Lucy show, Taxi, Mary Tyler Moore, with my grandparents uh, there. And home tastes like my grandmother's casseroles with... Her preserves, her, she made like uh, stewed tomatoes in cans. Remember those? People used to do that stuff. Um, and Ritz crackers crumbled on the top. It's kind of the taste of my grandmother's house. And what does home look like to me? Oh, there's, 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 that's what she saw every day when she was out at, the, at the breakfast nook. This is what home looks like to me. Yeah, it just makes me sad because that porch is not there anymore. And, uh, a few years ago, they sold the house and they took the porch off, the screen porch, where I used to sit and do bird calls with my grandfather, who's a bird enthusiast. And, um, but this is what it looks like. My grandparents sitting on the back of the porch, having snacks, having a drink, listening to birds. And I'm so glad my, kid, my two kids there, Olivia and Elias, got to, got to see them in their element in this place. You know, that's what home looks like to me. It's a very special home to me. It makes me feel everything to talk about it and to share about it. It just makes me feel, the kids say, all the feels. You know, that's descriptive. Um, Underneath it all is this sense of security, connection, acceptance, and nurture. And that's home at its best, in my opinion. That's what home is. It's this thing that God's put inside of us, this longing uh, for for a shelter, for, for a place of acceptance, for a place that calls us to something better and higher, um, a, place, a place of warmth and nurture.
A lot of what we do in our lives is an effort to get back to those feelings of home. If we haven't had a home experience that was like this, like I had in my grandparents' house, you know, we think, I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to find the right friends. I'm going to find, you know, have some kids of my own, make some humans of my own, and I'm going to have a home, and I'm going to give them this feeling that maybe I didn't even get myself, but I know that I want, and so I'm going to give it to somebody else, and maybe through that experience, I will feel it too, you know, with my kids. Um, People who are raised in troubling homes, they're not just getting married and having kids. They're, they're going for something. They're going for something special. And they're following this pattern that God's placed in each of us. Today I want to share with you two stories of homecoming found in the Scripture. And the first is going to be in Isaiah 52 to 53. Uh, and the second is in Luke 15, 11 to 32. The first is a prophecy about Jesus Christ, whose resurrection we are remembering today. And the second is a story that Jesus Christ told about a childhood home and about what we should expect when we've left our father's house in rebellion, then decided to come back. How do we we find God once we've run out of the childhood home? This prophecy from Isaiah was written 700 years before Christ was born. It's so complete that you can actually see the whole story of Easter in this prophecy. Um, A lot of people had this idea in academic circles in the early 1900s that um, when they found the manuscript, they said, oh, this was just written by some disciples after Jesus resurrected, you know, just to make up a story so people believed in this stuff. But then the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in 1947, and they found an exact and perfect copy of Isaiah with everything in it just like we have today. And they found that, no, this was written well before Jesus was even born. It's quite, quite remarkable stuff. Um, and that, that's a whole sermon or teaching in itself, just seeing the amazing historicity of the Bible. But we are going to take a look at Isaiah 52, 13 to 53, 11. And in this passage, Jesus is identified as the servant. And you'll see, you'll see that as we go. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. Of course, we know Jesus' crucifixion, he was disfigured, um, and his blood was just pouring from him at that time as he suffered. And the artist Isaiah who wrote this very poetically just thinks about this idea of Jesus' blood falling from his downturned face on the cross, sprinkling and cleansing the nations, anyone who would look to him, which is is what that's all about. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground, He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, But he was pierced for our transgressions. 
He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Listen to the, just the way that's written. I'm going to read it one more time. And just see, see how um, in these pronouns, if you put your name into them, just see what Jesus has done. Christ didn't die for himself. He died for people. He died to bring people to himself. He took up our pain. He bore our suffering. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds, we are healed. Maybe this is one of the best explanations of the effects of what we believe as a church. Um, that, that is one of the best in the Bible, you know? It's incredibly inconcise. Jesus didn't die for himself. He died for us to make a way for us. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Just another word for sin. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though, we had, though he had done no violence, nor any deceit was found in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. Happy Easter. That's what that's all about. This is Easter. After he suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. He will bear their iniquities. In case you hadn't read that already in this passage, so the third or fourth time, bearing our sin. The New Testament reflects on this and says, Christ died for our sins while we were strangers. And it's rooted in this idea. Um, actually, Romans 5.8 says, while we were enemies, he died for our sins. You know, this is a different kind of love than we, we tend to have. It says in the scripture, you know, for a good person, someone might dare to die, but for an enemy, you know, that's what Jesus did. Um, I love, we're reading through the Bible uh, as a church, and we're reading through Mission 119, which is a, an app you can get on your phone and, and read a section of the Bible every day. But a couple months ago, we were reading, and I got into Isaiah 53, and I just knew this is the word God had for us on Easter uh, and, and the pa pastor Soper, who does the commentary in that app, uh, he said these things. He said, Jesus' death, number one, was voluntary. Um, first of all, Jesus was God. Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit are three in one. So when it says that Jesus died for our sins, you need to understand God died for our sins in Christ. And it was It was voluntary. The servant accepts it all. And, and, and we see that in Jesus as well. He is, Jesus is the suffering servant because he chooses to be. He wasn't made the suffering servant by somebody else. What happened to Jesus did not take him by surprise. It was not an unplanned accident or a terrible twist of fate. He knew he was going to Jerusalem to die. 
which is why he just kept saying it over and over again, even though no one listened to him, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to, it's going to die, and then I'm going to rise again. He told them over and over again. It was very purposeful. Jesus chose death, his death, so that we could have life. That's what it was. That's what it was, what it was all about. Second, Jesus' death was vicarious. It was substitutionary. In other words, he died for us. Think of all those pronouns. That's why he was like a lamb led to the slaughter. And John the Baptist calls Jesus the lamb of God that will take away the sins of the world. Um, in our place, for our sins, he took our sins upon, the punishment for our sins on himself so that we would not have to pay for our sins. God fulfilled his own law, died for us. And Jesus' death, and this is what we looked at today, is victorious. The sacrifice was accepted, the atonement was effective, and the proof was the resurrection. And uh, Jesus rose again. And in doing that, God vindicated him and, and, said, and he said, it is finished. It's no longer that sin is covered, sin is finished in Jesus for all who will look to him. It's an amazing thing. What I want you to notice especially, and really where all of this thinking about home has come from for me, is that Jesus' death has made a way for us to come home to our relationship with God. This is a much more fully orbed concept than what we, what we often think and hear. In, in uh, 53, Isaiah 53, 4, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So, by Jesus' wounds, this text says we are healed. What kind of healing is it talking about? Some people say that the healing is, is a physical healing which God sometimes gives to those who ask him for it. God doesn't just care about our soul and our, and our, and our spirit. He cares about our bodies too. He cares, he's concerned with the world. And so sometimes uh, God heals people in response to their prayer. Jesus went around healing many people in his earthly ministry, and that ministry has continued even in this church and other churches where we lay hands on people and pray for them just like Jesus did and ask for healing. Some people talk about that aspect of by his wounds we are healed. Other people talk about how Jesus has healed us if we take hold of his sacrifice he's offered for us, um, that the punishment that brought us peace that was on Jesus um, healed our relationship with God so that we could have an unbroken fellowship with him. By his stripes we are healed. Our, our relationship is healed and we are connected to God. I believe uh, that provision for, for physical healing as well as full spiritual healing is available in Jesus Christ's substitutionary death for all people who believe. But all of that is part of a larger healing, which is really about coming to be connected to God deeply, powerfully, and fully. Um, and through Christ, we are connected to God. By his wounds, our relationship with God is healed, and we, become, we, we come home to the good shepherd of our souls, the Bible talks about. And when you walk with the good shepherd, think about this you have the possibility, endless possibilities of what could happen. Endless possibilities, because you're connected to God. And, he, and you're connected to him meaningfully and fully through Jesus Christ. All of us really are like sheep who have gone astray. We have a rebellious spirit that 
causes us to not want to be connected, connected to God through Jesus Christ. But God created us each with that innate sense of trying to find a home. A dwelling place is what God often calls it. But something inside of us just does not want to take hold what God's freely given to us. We storm out of our childhood home and leave the security we feel there and the foundation and our identity, and we run away. This is just the human condition. God sees uh, this tendency in us, which, which is called sin, and has made a plan and a way for anyone to come back home to his home where he cares for his sheep lovingly and tenderly like a shepherd. Uh, even to the point of giving his life for the sheep. And when we get to home to be with God through Jesus, we get two things that our hearts desperately need. Things that, are, that characterize that security and that longing we have inside. And that's acceptance, full acceptance by God, the Father of our souls. And a call to a higher life, to a deeper life, to a better life, to a meaningful life in Jesus Christ. We are fully accepted by God through the work of Jesus, which saves us, and we get called to a higher and deeper life, the new identity and new security and new foundation. We get not only forgiveness for our sins, we get love, we get reconciliation, we get direction, we get healing sometimes. Anything is possible when you're connected to the creator of the universe. Truly. We come home. So what should we expect when we decide to go home uh, to God through Jesus? How does it look, sound, feel, smell to go from an active running away and rebellion from God, turn back, and go home? How, how can we expect God to receive us? In Luke 15, 11, we see a story where God is trying to get the point across to anyone who has wandered away from home. And he uses a very familiar idea, uh, a household, to share what we can expect. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. In case you're wondering what that would be like, that would be like if I said to my father, you know, when you die, I'm getting an inheritance, but I need the money now, so let's just pretend you're dead and you give me my part of it. Because, you know, like the giving tree, you know. So the son says, you know, you're as good as dead to me, give me the money. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to, to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. 
But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, What's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has, has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you've never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You see the heart of the father in this? So what did the younger son see after he prepared his speech of what he would say to his father? Groveling. He saw his father watching for him from the porch with compassion, it says. And there were no cell phones or Facebook feeds. The father didn't know when the son was coming home. He was, he was on the porch every day watching. That's what he was doing. People matter to God. They really do. He wants them home. He wants to be meaningfully connected to his people. In the heart of the father is watching with compassion and understanding, waiting for his children to come home. So that's what the younger son saw, something very unexpected. What did the younger son hear when he came home? Well, he heard his father's footfall as he ran to meet, his, to meet him. And I don't know if he thought that the father was raging towards him or what. Um, he heard the sound of his father literally colliding with him and kissing him and the tears of joy and relief that his son had come home. That's what he heard. That's what the, what the son heard. He also heard the sounds of preparations being made. Just as he was finishing his apology and his groveling session, the father ignored him and said, go make preparations. Prepare a feast. He heard the sound of dancing and music. What did the younger son smell when he came home? Well, he smelled the familiar scent of home of his father's clothing, of a feast his father was preparing for him. What did the younger son feel? Well, he objectively felt a strong paternal embrace. He felt the hug of his father, someone who he thought was going to be very, very angry with him and maybe even turn him away or curse him. He felt an embrace. He felt the warmth of a fine robe being put on him and a ring being put onto his finger, and a fresh pair of sandals on his weary feet. And what did the younger son taste? He was given the richest of meals, the fattened calf, literally the party animal. I, just, I don't know if that's where it came from, but... <laughs> he was given the party animal after being a party animal himself and squandering his wealth in prostitutes and wild living. His father gave him a party animal at home. He's probably given good wine, the father's own vintage. So what did the younger son receive when he came 
to his father's. He received his home back. The desperate search of every soul is to either go back home or make a home. That's how God's created us. It's a good longing, and everyone has this longing inside. It's expressed in a variety of different ways. But what people do not know is that the only way to fulfill this longing uh, in anything more than a very superficial way is first coming to God through Jesus Christ, um, being brought back into the flock of sheep where the shepherd leads them and takes care of them. And it is only by the wounds of Jesus Christ on the cross that we read about um, that we can be healed, that we can go back home. And anyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. The door is wide open. Wide open. And when we come back to God, what can we expect? We can expect what that young son received from his father. Home. But we have to come like the younger son, recognizing that we have sinned and, and turned away. And we've, we've resisted being connected to God. We've, in many ways, we have spit in his face and said, you know, give me the money, I'm, I'm out the door. And recognizing that we need his forgiveness. We need his covering to bring us back into the house. And then we get what we're, our soul is truly longing for, and that is home. Not just a house like my grandparents' old place, but a home in Christ, a living shelter um, and a promise for the next life after we die that we will be home with him, even as we have walked with him in this life. Home. And it is this home that God is calling us to this morning. It's much more than just, it's much more than just forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ. That is the way that you open the door to the Father's house. That's the provision that was made, and there's no way to get back into the house except through Jesus Christ. But there is way more to this thing than simply being forgiven. This is a relationship with the living God, the shepherd of your soul, who is the kind of, the kind of God, the kind of person, personality, who is waiting and watching and desiring for all of his children to come home, no matter where they've been or what they've been up to. He just wants them home. Jesus said, Abide in me and I will abide in you. Live in me and I will live in you. Apart from me, you can't accomplish anything. So abide in me, live in me, move in me. He's calling us home. A living shelter. So as the worship team comes forward to lead us in a closing song, um, I'm not going to... Um, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And if you are someone that has just wandered away from the Father's house, you've had that rebellion in your life, you've resisted Him, I just want you to, to take, take note of that in your heart. And know that the Father is calling you back home. He has made every um, overture and barrier removed through dying for your sins on the cross himself. He took his law into his own hands and gave his life to forgive us of our sins. So the invitation today is very simple, to come home. And so if you are, if you are there where you just want to get back into this relationship with God that's deep and meaningful and honestly 
where we derive our identity, where we find our resting place for our soul. I just want you to pray with me. Father, we thank you that you are good. You are good. That you have opened the way to a relationship with you where before we could never have come through shedding your own blood on the cross for our sins. And I pray that you would take me back into your into your group, into your fold, into your home. That I might walk with Jesus. That I might be called something higher, something greater. To an obedience that comes from faith. Um, trusting in you instead of just relying on my own wit and evading you. I pray that you would forgive me for my sins and take me into your loving arms and walk with me from this day forward. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for coming, for planning to come, and then giving your life willingly so that we could have a relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship together. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. For I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Hallelujah. Christ is risen from the grave. Hallelujah. Christ is risen from the grave.
dawn that day you called me in to heaven's sweet embrace i'll see your scars your open arms the beauty of your face through tears of joy i lift my voice in everlasting praise hallelujah christ is risen from the grave oh death where is your sting oh fear where is your power the mighty king of kings has disowned you delivered to your home or different places to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Take note of the people, the sounds, the smells, the feelings, the things you hear. And remember what it sounds like, what it feels like, what it looks like and tastes like to come home to the Father's house. And know that if there was any other way to get you there, um, Jesus wouldn't have had to die on the cross. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The godly for the ungodly, so that we could come home to be with him. So take note. God is calling. It's time to go home. I bless you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The risen Christ. Pray that you would be filled with the Spirit. That you would... Have your eyes be open to see how long and high, deep and wide is the love of God in Jesus Christ for you, for the world. That you would know the compassionate love of the Father as he waits and watches for his beloved child to come home. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed. Go and be the church. Happy Easter.